Let us pray. Father, another momentous day for Christ followers. The day when we remember and celebrate your sending the Holy Spirit as a replacement for Jesus following his return to his heavenly home. Help us to accept our responsibility for the tasks that are birthed by his coming. We know that he shows us the way to Jesus and that Jesus is the only way to you and salvation. Thank you for all this in his most holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I thought we might start by singing happy birthday to the Church of Christ, but the choir hasn't had time to rehearse it, so we'll let that go by. Not even a lap, but really. Our gospel reading this morning by Deacon Susie from the beloved disciple John has to be one of the most jam-packed portions of Scripture that there is. There are a number of thoughts here presented by our Lord to his disciples, and each of these could be used as a topic for a sermon. However, we don't have time for that, so let us focus. As an introduction, I want to echo what I said last year at the Pentecost sermon when I noted that this was not a holiday, not a new holiday, created for the coming of the Holy Spirit. It was the Feast of Weeks, also called Harvest and the Day of First Fruits. Remember that for Jews, it was the second major feast which all able-bodied Jews, all able-bodied Jewish males were required to attend. The result of this is that Jerusalem would have been packed with people. Is that important? Well, yes, because the coming of the Holy Spirit was a huge event. And with folks the way they are, there would have been plenty to talk about all that happened when there was an extraordinary wind and tongues of fire descending on folks and folks speaking in languages that were not understandable, as read by Jenny from Acts 2. I shall not be talking about all that this morning. The epistle covered that very well, and I would strongly suggest you go home and read it some more. Charles Spurgeon, who you've heard me mention before in his somewhat archaic but instructive language, reminds us that on that day, the sheaf was waved before the Lord. Cut off the sheaf. There was a Deuteronomy passage, the Old Lesson that you heard, the Old Testament lesson. And thereby, the harvest was consecrated. Passover, which was just a few short weeks ago, was to our Savior the time of his sowing. These aren't my words, this is Spurgeon. But Pentecost was the day of his reaping. And the fields which were ripe to the harvest when he sat on the well are reaped now that he sits upon the throne. I thought that was lovely. Once again, just what are we celebrating? The sending and arriving of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Our passage from John records Jesus saying that he will pray the Father 
to give his disciples, and I might add the world, another counselor who will be with them forever. Importantly, Jesus adds that the world cannot receive this counselor because the world cannot even see or know him. Now, although it seems to me as if Jesus is trying to comfort his comrades that he loves so much, he's delivering the message that the world in which they are to live and preach is their problem now. The baton has been passed as regards preaching and teaching and healing because Jesus will no longer be with them. And knowing the hearts of men as he knows them, he must be aware of their fear, fear of the known, and fear of the unknown. I doubt that any of the disciples felt adequate for the task. They had just begun to discover what Jesus was all about, who Jesus was. And they had a tremendous amount of reflection to do before they can understand the relationship between Jesus and God and what God's kingdom really should be like. One wonders whether they might have even thought, okay, now I can go back to hauling fishnets or whatever I want to do and not worry about persecution by the Pharisees or the Romans or anybody else. And so, Jesus is trying to tell them that reinforcements are on the way. The cavalry is coming over the hill. Have no fear. Jesus' replacement, who is from God, who is God, who is God, will come to continue the ministry with them that Jesus has begun. The Holy Spirit will give them the strength to carry on. Jesus' words here are classic Jesus. That sounds good. Somewhat obscure and in other ways perfectly clear. Isn't that not that always the way with the, our, with the Lord that we love? But we should not let this keep us from trying to unpack at least some of the more difficult parts of what Jesus said in this portion of the farewell discourse. I hope you're remembering that. I've preached on it about four times in a row here, the farewell discourse. Everything that we need to know about the coming of the Holy Spirit is here. We just need to pick away at it a little and we can tease out the nuggets that we need. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will bring to their remembrance all that he has said to them. Now, this is very important to us in our daily lives. As I have grown older, perhaps you've noticed, it has become clear to me that my memory for acute events is diminishing. What is today? <laughs> Only kidding. But in all seriousness, I do find it most comforting that the Comforter will help with reminding us of all the important things that we need to know to live our lives as our loving God would have us live them. When one finishes seminary, one recognizes that one has barely uncovered a tiny fraction of all the theology 
and its application that there is to know. But we're promised that the Holy Spirit will provide the right words at the right time. And I must say that this is true. This has happened many times, thankfully. Oh, and I just saw it as something I have to insert. When you go through surgical training, which can take anywhere between five and seven or eight years after internship, you come out thinking that you know something about surgery, but you feel like, oh my goodness, it's so huge, I can't possibly know all this. I remember this very clearly. Now you take your boards. If you're good and lucky, you pass your boards, and then you're said to be able to do surgery on most anybody for most anything. And again, it's interesting, but I see a, a kind of a simile here. You finish, you realize you know very little, but praise God, something along the way inserts things into your head and your hands that let you do what you need to do. That may not be a good simile, but it came to mind. I'm not trying to make you nervous if you're facing surgery, folks. <laughs> but don't ever do it after July 1st, right? You have to wait a month. You all know that story. Then... Jesus says that he will go away, and then he'll come to them. That sounds strange. We must see this as Jesus saying that only his visible presence will be absent from them after he returns to the Father. Jesus will remain in union with them and with us through the Holy Spirit. Remember, there is one God, albeit in three persons. And so, with the Holy Spirit here, Jesus is still with us, although not embodied, only in spirit. In other words, Jesus and the Comforter, also termed the Paraclete, will both be with them and with us. The connection between Jesus and the Paraclete is affirmed further when Jesus refers to the Paraclete as the Spirit of truth, since Jesus is the truth. This is not easy, all this. But since we see evidence of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives, it becomes somewhat easier to understand. In other words, we understand it experientially. Let me finish with a few words on why the coming of the Holy Spirit that's so clearly described in Luke Acts. And again, for those that don't remember, we're sure that Luke wrote Acts, so we can call it Luke Acts. It's like Luke Part 2. Clearly described in Luke Acts marks the birthday of the church. A birthday is a beginning or a commencement. That's a popular word this time of year. Just what does this mean? Jesus' incarnation should be the birthday of the church. No? Not really. That was the beginning of sacred history for us Christians, but not the beginning of the church, the body of Christ. This really does begin with Pentecost because it is the beginning of the spread of the way centrifugally out from Jerusalem and its confines. And I urge you to think about the pebble that you throw into a pond and the ripples spread out. That's a good metaphor for 
the spread of Christianity, I believe. With the coming of the Holy Spirit and with the identity between himself and the Holy Spirit that has now been certified by Jesus, the seed for the spread of the body of Christ has been planted, has been birthed, and the rest, as they say, is history. Christianity began its spread around the world with Peter's sermon in the second part of chapter 2 of Acts, and that is required reading today. You can skip part one, you heard that in the first reading, but please read part two, Peter's sermon. Very, very important. Peter explains the coming of the Spirit, and with Paul's, then Paul's missionary journeys all around the northern Mediterranean and on and on, we see the spreading ripples after the pebble hits the pond. So, we are witnesses to this birthday and all that comes from it. But the party that goes along with this has no cake or ice cream. There are presents, but they involve giving of oneself in pursuit of the kingdom. The present that we receive is the knowledge that we are continuing the work of Christ on earth so that we will one day receive the crown as we join with Jesus in heaven. There, believers will spend eternity, and that is really good news. Amen.